0: Well, good morning, beloved. It is time to give our attention to God's word, to have him speak to us now. We've been speaking to him in song and in prayer. This is the part of a Christian service where we then get attentive to hearing God speak. And so let's ask him to bless our time and to bless our hearing. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you speak to us. We give you thanks that your word is alive we give you thanks for giving us ears to hear and help us to hear now oh lord to perceive the truth to understand it and to apply it well to our lives we live by every word that proceeds from your mouth and lord we pray as we face a world and a devil and even our own flesh which would draw our attention away from your word. We pray, Lord, Lord, we beg by your spirit, give us an attentiveness to you, to what you say and what you call us to do. give us grace to obey what we learn and what we hear. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing in our sermon series called Bless the Block. This has been an attempt to look at Jeremiah 29 and to frame out for ourselves some uh, strategies as a church for living as exiles in the world, for living as exiles in our community, and for living in such a way that we flourish and the community flourishes, to live in such a way that we take a part in the community and we find our welfare in the welfare of the community. And so far, we have been reminded that though we are exiles, we still have a God, that God has sent us into exile, and he has purposes to to bless us in the midst of this exile, and we come to him in his word. And in his word, he's given us several strategies that we've looked at so far. We are to build houses and live in them. We are to plant gardens and eat their produce. Uh, We are to marry and have children and give our children in marriage that they might have uh children so we have a a, a generations long vision for multiplying and not decreasing and then we are also as an exile uh, community to seek the welfare of the city that we're in so we're not only to take care of the needs that we have housing food family but we are to contribute to the shalom to the peace, tranquility, harmony, well-being, flourishing of our city. Uh, that's what we considered last week. And this week we come to the fifth of God's instructions to the exiles in this letter that is uh, in Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, and this, this fifth sort of um, instruction, again, is an instruction that turns the exile community in one sense in on itself to consider itself but in another sense, out onto um, the teachers of the community uh, and the teachers of the exile um, neighborhood in order to sort of contend for the truth. And so if you want to sort of put this in a uh, title for the sermon, put positively, it would just simply be listen to the truth. Listen to the truth. That is a vital exile, skill, and discipline. Put it in the negative, reject deception. Reject falsehood and deception. That's the main burden of Jeremiah 29, verses 8 and 9. Uh, I'm going to read verses 4 to 9 for us again, and then reread verses 8 and 9, and we will settle there for our time. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, And praise the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Consider with me again verses 8 and 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. As we think about this this morning, I want us to consider three points from this text. Point number one, God is true. God is true. Point number two, liars are among us. Liars are among us. Number three, God did not send them. God did not send them. And each of those truths have applications for us as a community of exiles in the earth. Point number one, God is true. I get that from the names that are ascribed to the Lord here. In verse 8, we've seen them before, earlier, in verse 4. Those two titles that um, God has here. Thus says, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Their first title, the Lord of hosts, hosts is a word that means armies. Uh, The Lord is the Lord or God or ruler of the armies of heaven. It's one of the ways that the Bible refers to his power is Lord Sabaoth, the, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord of power and might. Then there's a second title, the God of Israel. That's a reminder to the exiles that they are in a covenant relationship with God. They are in a relationship in which God belongs to them and they belong to God. It's as if they were spiritually married to one another. They are committed to one another in love. He is not the God of Nebuchadnezzar. He is not the God of Babylon. He is not the God of any other nation in that special sense of being in a covenant with them. But with Israel, the exiled community, well, he is their God and they are his people. They exist together, bound together in covenant love. See, in this relationship, God is true. By true, I don't just mean that he tells the truth. By true, I mean that he's loyal. He is true to Israel the way high school sweethearts are true to one another. And, and stay together, and maybe marry, and live married for 50 or 60 years. They are true to one another. They are bound together in loyalty. So it is with, with God and his people. God keeps his covenant. He keeps his promises to his people, even when those people are experiencing exiles. So th- This is important because as believers... We frequently forget what our relationship with God is like. We frequently forget, don't we, how how God regards us and how he acts toward us. So when we say God is true, that means, beloved, God is not going to change on us. He's not going to flip on us. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's one reason to love God, because he's unchanging. He's the same God yesterday, he's going to be that God today, and he's going to be that same God tomorrow and every tomorrow that comes until forever. He is faithful, steadfast, unchanging, unfailing, always good. He's not going to be the God of all power one day and then show up and say, well, I feel kind of powerless today. He's not going to be the God of covenant love one day and then break his covenant with us the next day. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God loves you now, there will never be a day when God no longer loves you. He will love you each day until forever. If God pledges to protect you by his power as the Lord Sabbath, if he pledges that today, He will keep that pledge today. He will keep that pledge tomorrow. He will keep that pledge every day thereafter. Now, as creatures, we might waver and we might stumble and we might change and we might forget. But not God. God never does in His relationship with us. Never. Remember the words of 2 Timothy 2. Verse 13, where the Apostle Paul says there, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I love that. That's good news for strugglers. That's good news for sinners. That's good news for exiles who are overwhelmed with this world and overwhelmed with life. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He is promised himself to us. He has promised good to us. He will not go back on that promise. He will not deny himself. He will be faithful. God is true. That means we can meet all of our doubts, all of our struggles, all of our our failings with God's consistency and constancy and steadiness. I love the way Dane Ortland. Uh, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, meditates on this. He's meditating on that passage in John where Jesus says, All who come to me I will in no wise cast out. I will never turn you away if you come to me. And Ortland is pointing out about how we struggle to sort of really believe that and to trust Jesus' heart for us in a promise like that. And he he imagines this, this dialogue between us, Weak and struggling sinners and, and, and our loving Lord. He says, but we might say something like this. I am a great sinner, say you. And Jesus says, I will in no wise cast you out. But I'm an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I'm a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I've served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against the light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I've sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I Will in no wise cast out, says Christ. God is true. All his promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not going to cast us away. He's not going to forsake his covenant with us. He's not going to abandon us. We have this strong assurance from Romans 11 verse 29, which says the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. And their gifts and callings are references to his covenant love, his his salvation, which he has accomplished for us in Christ. If we have those gifts, if we have been called to God in Christ, those gifts are not ever to be taken away. They are irrevocable. They can't be canceled. They don't have a sunset date. They don't have an expiration date. They don't have a used by date. They are never taken back. Because God is true. And he reminds us that he is true. That his love is irrevocable. So he comes to Israel here in Jeremiah 29 and he addresses himself using those titles that he's already used before. That he is the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And in that is the reminder that he is not forsaken them. He's still with them. He will always be with them. So as exiles, we need to remember who God is. We need to remember what God is like. We need to know and remember that God does not change. He's not going to flake on us. And we especially need to remember this when exile gets hard. We must not focus on our exile status, but on our relationship status with God. We need to remember, remember He's your God, the Lord of hosts. He's your God, the God of the church. Have you forgotten that this week? Has that somehow slipped your mind? Has this week been hard in some way? Has the pandemic been difficult in some way? Have you been suffering? And maybe have you been tempted to think that God is powerless or that God is far off? Remember, He's the Lord of hosts. He's the God of Israel. He's the God of the church. He's your Lord. He is true to you. He has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. His gifts and callings are irrevocable. Remember, and turn to him. God is true. But now there's a problem in the text in Jeremiah 29, 8 and 9. There are liars among God's people. I take this from uh, the two related commands in verse 8. Notice what uh, God says there. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. Now, a prophet is supposed to be one who speaks the very words of God. It's kind of the mouthpiece of God in the Old Testament. And a a diviner or diviner is sometimes used as another word for prophet. You sometimes see the word seer in the Bible. These are those also who have a, a gift to forecast the future or the foretell truth. Now they were supposed to be people who spoke for God, through whom God spoke himself. But in this case, notice now, God says, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. And so you could paraphrase this command as, protect yourself against deception and refuse to listen to liars. Now, an important, reason for remembering that God is true is so that it helps us to avoid listening to the lies of the godless. Notice now that the prophets and the diviners or diviners are among you, verse 8 says. They are not outside the community, but inside the community. There there have always been false prophets among God's people from the time of Moses, where God warns of it in Deuteronomy 18, right down to the time of Christ, um, where there are false Christs that are rising up and prophesied in Matthew 25 and other places, all the way down to the end of the age where the, the, the false prophets and the beasts are finally cast into the lake of fire. There have always been false teachers, false prophets, lying leaders among God's people who distort the truth while claiming to speak for God. Well notice now, God calls them your prophets and your diviners. These are the teachers chosen by the people. These are the uh, prophets and, and seers, followed by the people. They weren't chosen by God. They were not sent by God. Now, this, is a, this is an important thing about false teachers. False teachers gain popularity among God's people for one reason. The people like them because they tell them things that they want to hear. Remember what Paul said uh, to Timothy in when Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 3 and 4. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You see, God's people too often retre- reject the truth of sound doctrine and instead look for people who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. False prophets and teachers would never have any success among God's people if God's people were careful, listen, to cultivate a deep love and longing for the truth. And if they put their desires and passion for things that tickle them to death. So here's a pro tip. Don't evaluate preachers and teachers by whether or not you, quote, like them. Do not evaluate Christian leaders and Christian teachers and Christian preachers by whether or not you like them. The same Facebook. Evaluate teachers by whether or not They teach the truth of the Bible line upon line, precept upon precept. Look for faithfulness to the biblical text, not for entertainment and style, for cleverness or giftedness in the speaker. Do not evaluate teachers by whether they uh, tell you what you believe in a style that you like. They only tell you what you will believe in a style that you like. How are you going to grow if you only are accepting what you already know? No, the spiritually mature want meat, the superficial want flash. If you can get both, fine. Nothing wrong with somebody who, who brings the meat of the word in a, in a wonderful uh, gifting and style. Praise the Lord. But don't ever feed your desire for style at the expense of your need for substance. Never feed your desire for style at the expense of your need for substance. If you talk about who you like, you might, you might, not necessarily, but you might be using the wrong category for evaluating who you are listening to, and that is how false teachers make their way into God's community. So the best way to protect against deception is to not even listen to false teachers, not even listen to false preachers, do not expose yourself to falsehood, and you will not have to worry about deception. Instead, cultivate a deep, passionate longing for truth. So, just a couple application questions. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Write down the names of your favorite preachers and teachers and folks whom you are gathering Bible teaching from, whom you believe to be speaking for God. And number two, Are you testing what they say against the scripture? Are you testing what they say against the scripture? Not just following along with your Bible open, trusting that whatever they're saying is accurate, but actually bringing what they say beneath the light of the Bible to see whether it's so or not. Number three, do you listen to teachers... As if false teaching is a real problem. Is this just a conceptual problem in your mind that existed long ago? Or or are you listening to teachers with a kind of alertness and a kind of um, um, guardedness and discernment? That indicates that you, you actually really do believe that Satan has teachers masquerading as angels of light. That false teachers are a real problem. Number four, ask yourself, evaluate really, when it comes to the teachers you're listening to, are you listening to them because of style or because of substance? Is it style or substance? Because keep in mind, it's the itching ear that opens us up to falsehood and compromise and deception. Which brings us to a third point. These false teachers, God did not send them. Look there with me in verse 9. God says there, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. See, from God's perspective, these folks weren't prophesying. They were Right? They were coming with falsehood and deception. Now, pay attention to something important here. They were lying to the people, notice here, in God's name. In, In other words, they didn't come saying, hey, I got an idea. This is my idea. They, they, they tried to root their lie in the authority of God's name and God's person. This means, beloved, we can't trust someone just because they say, God told me. But here in verse 9, God says unequivocally, I did not send them. So we can't trust everyone who comes in god's name if if our discernment stops with the claim that they have come in god's name then we're going to be vulnerable to all kinds of hucksters and bucksters who who have no shame really in packaging deception in religious wrapping. so how do we know if someone's really sent by god we need to be sure the people we listen to are people who have been called by the Lord, commissioned by him, and sent by him. So how do how do we do that? How do we know if we're doing that? Well, the normal way we know whether or not someone is sent by God, has a calling on their life, is through the action of the elders and the congregation of a local church. Someone says, Hey, I have a calling. It's the responsibility of pastors to discern whether or not they are qualified according to 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter chapter 5, Titus chapter 1? Do they have that kind of character? Are they godly? And it's up for the elders to to pour into that person, to train and to shape that person and to investigate initially whether or not that person has some giftings. So it doesn't just stop with someone saying, I feel called. The leadership of their local church needs to be investigating that call. Now here's, again, another pro tip. They say, I feel called, and they are not a part of a local church. They are, by definition, not called, period, end of story. They don't have any authority in their lives testing and investigating the integrity of their character. And it doesn't even stop with the elders of a local church. The congregation, too, now has to examine whether or not that person has character and whether or not that person has gifting uh, that indicates calling because uh, the congregation is then the final ones to sort of lay hands on that person, if you will, and to put their sort of stamp of approval on this person as we think, as far as we're able to discern by the Holy Spirit, this person has a legitimate calling and has the, the commiserate character to serve the Lord as a teacher. So this is how we know someone is called uh, to serve in this way. Now, if, if you don't know that about someone, that there are godly leaders who have examined them and there's a godly congregation who has affirmed their qualification and their character, if you don't know that about someone, then you need to be careful about how you listen to them. Or whether you listen to them. So Christians should trust their local leaders, and then sort of fan out to like-minded churches to find preachers and teachers who who share their same theology and conviction and 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 commitments to Christ, and then fan out a little bit further to uh, associations and denominations and, uh, and then you got the rest of the sort of church world. You, you want to sort of put greater trust in those leaders who are closer to you and known to you. Doesn't mean that folks you don't know aren't, aren't faithful, aren't fruitful, aren't profitable for you spiritually. It just means that actually when it comes to knowing the things that need to be known about whether or not someone is truly sent of God, You and I can't know those things because they're too far from us. And so our trust should increase the closer we get to our own local setting. Well, how are we supposed to know if someone is lying in God's name? That's how we know whether or not they're called. How do we know if they are lying in God's name? I've already alluded to this. We compare everything they teach to God's word. Now, let me say this too the more we like someone as a preacher and teacher, the more important it is that we actually examine what they say against the scripture. Why do I say that? The more we like someone in terms of their style of preaching and teaching, the more inclined we are to turn off our critical faculties. We like them, we associate that that, that liking them with trust and other things. And then we kind of stop being Bereans. We kind of stop testing things. Well, that's how, that's how false teaching enters the community. As I said a moment ago, you enter in, it sounds good initially, you like what you hear. Uh, at some point you stop listening and that's when the rascal goes left or right. That's when he goes off the rails, right? So there's a sense in which we should never stop listening like Bereans, even with people that we're close to, that we trust, whose ministry we appreciate. I don't want you to ever sort of start to say, I believe this because Pastor T said. Who is Pastor T? Who is Paul? Who's Apollos? None of us are Christ. You you want to believe things because they're in the book. And you want to appreciate teachers and preachers for making the book clear. And you want to make sure that they are always making the book clear. that They didn't just do that at one point when you used to listen to them, and now you take it for granted. No, you want to stay in the book. And you want to keep your, your preachers and teachers on the rail, keeping them in the book as well. So, it's the stuff that tastes like sugar that we tend to swallow whole. It's the stuff we like that we ingest without careful discernment. So, we want to be careful with the stuff that we like. We have to sift what sounds good in order to make sure that it is good. So, two questions to know whether or not someone is lying or telling the truth in God's name. Question number one comes from Deuteronomy 18 Does the prophecy actually happen? That was a test that God gave Israel in the Old Testament for distinguishing between false prophets who uh, did not were not sent by him, and true prophets who were. If the thing that they prophesied came to pass, that was a true prophet. If it didn't, they were false prophets. That's one question. Does the prophecy actually happen? Number two, does the prophecy or teaching, teaching, actually appear in the Bible? Is it what the Bible actually says? So again, think about those noble Bereans in Acts chapter 17 verse 11. Even with the Apostle Paul, as great a theologian and missionary church planter as the world has ever known. They were like, are these things so? Are they in the Bible? Is this what the Bible means when it says these things? And so we want to be people like the Bereans who test everything against the Bible. If it doesn't happen or is not in the Bible, then the teacher is lying in God's name now throughout the book of jeremiah god keeps mentioning these false prophets he he first mentions them in chapter 5 verse 11. then in jeremiah chapter 6 verses 13 and 14 god gives us a peep into the motivation of those false teachers jeremiah 6 verse 13 for from the least to the greatest of them everyone is greedy for unjust gain and from prophet to priest Everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You see the motivation there in verse 13? They were greedy for money. That's what moved them. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, including religious evil, beloved. The false teachers hid their greed through their falsehood. They tried to justify their greed by using God's name and by prophesying peace when God was warning of judgment. All because they were motivated by greed. And that motivation, notice, determined their message. So, again, Jeremiah mentions these false prophets in Jeremiah chapter 14. So look at me at Jeremiah 14, verses 13 and 14. Then I said, Jeremiah speaking, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword. Nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. You see the message of the the false prophets? It was peace, peace. But when they said peace, peace, shalom, shalom, it was a false peace. They they were really saying, "Don't listen to all that talk about judgment." They, they were saying Jeremiah is just an old and grumpy prophet. He not with the times. He just he a hater. He a hater. Jeremiah. He don't like nobody. He mean. But God, God now is good with you. And they were lying, beloved. There are religious leaders who will tell people. God loves you when God is actually saying you better repent. There are people who come in God's name to tell you how much good God is going to do for you when God is actually interested in how much good he can produce in you. The false teachers preach peace, prosperity. That word we looked at last week. Shalom, shalom. When judgment and destruction were coming because the people were not truly listening to God. See, now, it's that kind of religion, peace, peace, instead of warning of judgment, it's that kind of religion which is an opiate for the people. That's the kind of religion, religion that puts people to sleep in a burning building. That false gospel, that false message of peace. Notice now, what was the effect of their teaching? Well, one more passage where God speaks about these false teachers. Jeremiah 27, verses 14 and 15. There the Bible says, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are saying to you, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord, but they are prophesying falsely in my name. Notice the result. With the result that I will drive you out and you will perish you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. So they denied God's judgment. And in the consequence of that, they, they corrupted God's people, they corrupted Israel. They caused Israel to ignore God's true word of warning. Uh, and those false prophets ended up getting themselves judged. But notice now, Israel too. False teaching is not a victimless crime you heard that phrase, victimless crime? It's a phrase that's used sometimes to refer to the kind of criminal activity that supposedly doesn't hurt other people, only the person engaged in the criminal activity. Well, I want you to know, beloved, that that, that false teaching is not in that category. There are victims of false teaching, whole churches and, 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 and communities of God's people who are led astray and here led into God's judgment and chastisement. That's why God says, do not let them deceive you. Do not listen to them. Do not give them an inch of approval. Why? It's not a victimless crime. This is the yeast that will work its way through the whole batch of dough. And God is really clear I did not send them, he says. So the question becomes well, who did God send? Well, he doesn't leave us in a, in a mystery about that, does he? Hebrews chapter 1, the writer says there, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The, the, the one true prophet. All the other prophets of the Old Testament are men. They are fallen. They are, they are imperfect. Even when they are true prophets, they are all in one sense pictures of this coming prophet, of this uh, coming one through whom God speaks, Jesus Christ. And it's not just that God speaks his word through his son. His son is the word. He is the the Logos of God incarnated in flesh, according to John chapter 1. And in John chapter 14, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So it's not true that all religious roads lead to God. It's not true that you can sort of pick and choose your own teachers and believe them and somehow wind up uh, okay with God. There's only one prophet, only one true messenger that we must listen to in order to be made right with God. That is God's son, Jesus Christ. He is the only way back to God and the only way to live. He is the truth and he is the one who gives life to those who who believe in him. And how do we know this? Well, he wasn't motivated by greed and he didn't come with a false message. He didn't overlook the warnings of God, but announced them. And in fact, he suffered the judgment, the wrath, the punishment of God against sinners. He he came into the world to take our place. He takes our place in obedience to God that's how it is we can be righteous with God. Not because of what we did, but because Jesus perfectly obeyed God. And he takes our place in, in punishment. So, so the only way that we can escape God's judgment, which we deserve, is, is, is because Jesus himself has taken that judgment in our place. On the cross, all the anger and wrath and judgment of God, all of his holy holy, and righteous fury is poured out on His Son so that Jesus suffers judgment for all of us. He's buried. He's resurrected three days later. The resurrection is God saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. It's God saying, I accept His sacrifice in the place of sinners. It's God saying, I've defeated death and hell and judgment. And if anyone comes to me through the way of my son, believing the truth about him, he will find life." And that's God's offer to you this morning. He offers his son as your true prophet. He offers his son as your true priest. He offers his son as your true king. And he calls you to believe on him, to trust him, to enter into a relationship, with jesus through faith and repentance from sin god promises that he will make you new and he'll make you at one with himself and he promises that he will keep you in the truth until he comes to keep you in eternity so if you're listening this morning and you have never put your faith in jesus christ Today is the day of salvation. There are a lot of false teachers out there saying a lot of false things. You have got to get this message clear in your mind. You have got to understand this truth accurately that Jesus is not just a human prophet, He is the Son of God. He is God Himself. That Jesus dies on the cross not because of things He did wrong, but because of things you did wrong, because of your sins. That Jesus really was buried and three days later he really was raised from the grave. And his resurrection is the proof that there is eternal life. And there is an escape for you from judgment, from hell, from death. But the only way you can be saved is that you quit your love affair with sin and you put your faith in Jesus to save you personally from the judgment of God, to bring you into God's love, and to make you a whole new person. Trust in the Lord, and you will be saved. Believe in his name, and you will be saved. Do that now, even now. Call upon the name of the Lord, that you might be saved. So, God is true. There are liars among us. And number three, what about the block? How does all of this relate to our life and our ministry here at ARC? Well, let me just start by saying that there are lying prophets in our community. Uh, there are lying prophets in our day. There are lying prophets in our city, and we are not to listen to them. And let me let me just give you some. You saw the character of the false teachers in Jeremiah, how they were greedy for gain, and you see how they um, failed to warn the people of God's judgment, but just sort of say, "Hey, peace, peace, you good, it's all good." And so they were kind of liberal in that way, morally. In, in, in dealing with the people's sins. Well, those kinds of factors are are still at work today among false teachers. So what we saw in Jeremiah 29 are really the original prosperity teachers. And, and we have prosperity preachers among us today. They are not to be listened to. Do not let them deceive you. But then in our day, we also have cult groups like Hebrew Israelites. They, they come saying that peace, peace is by way of becoming Jewish by, by understanding yourself to be a Hebrew. That, that, that this book, the Old Testament, is really about African-Americans and, and, and not about the people we call Jews today. Do not listen to them. They are, they are deceiving whole people. And I want to tell you something. If you're a person who struggles with identity and you're drawn to the notion that, ooh, maybe I'm a Jewish person and, and, and that gives you a sense of significance, There is a much, much, much more beautiful identity for you to root your identity in that is also true. That is in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. The Bible says not that you are Jewish because you're not, if you're African American. The Bible says you are made in God's image and likeness. Which is better? To be a reflection of God's image and likeness or somehow to be a part of a, a, a sort of ethnic religious community that cannot save you. Oh. No. You, you have more dignity than you know. You have more beauty than you know. Don't be drawn away by the Pied Pipers of, of, of sort of religious identity. Root your identity in what the Bible says is true. You're made in God's image and likeness. Well, they're not only religious groups, but um, there are also social groups that are part of the false prophets of our community, if I am gonna use that term in an expanded way. Uh, think about those who uh, are, we call them neighborhood haters, right? Um, these are folks who only have one narrative in their minds about Southeast. And then it's, these are folks who, who think that Southeast is all about drugs, all about crime, all about violence. So this is a, a bad place to be and everybody needs to be pushed out. The neighborhood haters who only have one narrative about the community. They are false prophets. For God is in this place. God has not forsaken this place. And he has a people here, and he has a people whom he's going to call to himself. Close to those neighborhood haters are the gentrifiers. Real estate developers and new residents who merely think of a neighborhood as the last affordable section of a city. They're saying, peace, peace. They're saying that progress is inevitable and it's good. They're failing to admit that progress and this peace that they're talking about is not affordable for the people who are already here. That's no gospel. That's not good news. Or, or, or think of those who say, as is common today, that all of the problems of our community are caused by factors outside of our community. Listen, in this text in Jeremiah 29, Israel's most fundamental problem is that they refused to listen to God's word. And so they continued in their sin and continued in their deception. The false teachers convinced them that they didn't have no problems inside of themselves. And and they weren't really going to face any problems from outside of themselves. Babylon's not going to conquer you, they said. But they were wrong. They didn't deal with the root problem of disobedience and sin. And it's not true that all of our problems as a community come from outside of our community. The most fundamental problems we face, like all communities, is whether or not we submit to God and his word. and Whether or not we address our sin as sin and tremble at the warning of God because of the judgment that is to come upon the world. And whether or not we then turn to God or turn away from him for a false peace. So those two are false teachers in our day and we should not listen to them but listen to the whole counsel of God every line of his word What shall we go on to do? Well there's only one antidote to falsehood and that's truth and as we think about being a a, a, a church that's committed to truth, we want to organize ourselves for the promotion and the publishing and the spread of the truth. We want to organize ourselves in a, in a PSA team that is committed to uh, listening to the truth and rejecting falsehood, exposing counterfeits with the real McCoy. Now the aim of this team is not simply to study the falsehoods and to become skilled in repeating what's false. You, you can't get to the truth simply by rejecting what's false. There has to also be the positive statement of the truth. The aim of, of this group and its work and its study is to become skilled at t- teaching and living the truth. We, we want John 17, 17 to, to be our God sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is true. So this PSA team is a team dedicated to making sure that the church and the community has a constant source of God's truth being published and, and pumped out. The P again is for prayer. So we want this team to pray against the falsehoods of our neighborhood and to pray for the, the deliverance of those who are taken by those falsehoods. We want them to pray for the penetration of hearts and our lives with the truth of God's Word. We want to be committed to prayer for this because this is not something we can do in our own strength. This is not something that happens because we're particularly clever. We only ever understand the truth of God's Word if the Holy Spirit illumines our minds and our hearts. And we need to call upon Him to do that work. We want to pray and we want to study. We want to study to show ourselves approved, as the New Testament says. We want to be workers in the word who have no reason to be ashamed before God. And some of these cult group members, um, they, they, they gained members from, from churches because those church members didn't have a good understanding of their Bibles and of the truth. And in their interaction with these cult groups, they felt overwhelmed and they felt ashamed. And that that shame enticed them to believe the lie that was being stated so confidently and vociferously by the cult members. Listen, we need to be such thorough students of the truth that that we are not tempted by shame and made vulnerable to lies. So some applications here where, where study is concerned Plug into Sunday services. Plug into Bible study. Our Bible study is on on Zoom right now. We we should have 150 people in Bible study on Thursday nights. You you don't have to get in the car. You don't have to drive anywhere. Uh, You can be almost anywhere on the planet and and click in. Uh, Click into Bible study. Click into small groups and block groups. Um, None of us have too much word. None of us have so much of the scripture that we don't need anymore. We all need more so that we can know Jesus better and be kept from error. You know, we don't want to be people who are are, are like people who go into a five-star restaurant and uh, the man lays out a a five-course meal of of exquisite cuisine and we sit there and talk for two hours but never eat uh, and then get up and leave the table and leave the food to spoil. God has spread a banquet before us in his word. We want to come, eat. We want to sit, drink. We want to be filled with His words. So we want to plug into all the avenues we already have for being built up in Christ. Don't neglect that. And then, secondly, in terms of study, we want to study and respond to the needs that that other groups seek to exploit. So again, the the Hebrew Israelites, they are they are tapping into the need that some people have. For identity and to feel dignity. But what's more what's more dignifying than Genesis 1, as we said before, that we are made in the image and likeness of God. But you know what? Too little Christian teaching exists on what that means and how to live into that. So, so we want to be given attention to the truth and unpacking it in ways that, that serve the, the existential angst and need uh, of people that we come into contact with. I mean, who needs false claims when the Bible gives us such beautiful truths about ourselves? So we want to study. And then we want this group to act. We want this group to act, particularly in the spreading and the teaching of God's word. Uh, That can look like a lot of things, but what would it be like if ARC founded a publishing house? If If we had a publishing arm that produced materials for our neighborhood and neighborhoods like it, produced tracks, um, publish authors, um, publish other kinds of, of media, maybe video content and things of that sort. So here's the thing: we, we exist in a world where the where the false teachers are media juggernauts. They're on television all the time. they on radio. They're pushing out their own books. And so most people are swimming through a steady tide of weak teaching, at least and often false teaching. Where, where are the where are the strong teaching ministries producing that kind of output for the blessing of the block and for the strengthening of people. So we need to flip that somehow. Become producers of content. Become producers of media. Become publishers and and distributors of sound doctrine and sound teaching for the flourishing of God's people. And all of that we want to extend the word from our gatherings to the block. And from the block to the nations. We want God's truth to have a long reach. We want it to reach the people who are made in his image and made to know him. Well, we should conclude. Our God is true. He has sent his son for our salvation. We have a neighborhood who needs to hear about the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. John 17, 3 says, that is eternal life. That's the only way to be saved, beloved. And that's the only way that our exile will finally and forever end is if we come to our King and enter into His kingdom by faith in His Son and through His grace. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that You would help us to love the truth and help us to spread the truth in the power of your spirit, based on the content of your word, for the blessing of our block, for the reaching of the nations, and for the glory of your name. Do this, we pray, for our joy and your glory, in Jesus' name.